0: Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldin, and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a podcast on the COVID 19 outbreak. The last four months has turned our lives inside out. It's been a time of great uncertainty, isolation, and loss. There will be a fallout from this, and its impact on our mental health has yet to be truly felt. Dr. Tony Bates is a clinical psychologist. Tony, we've already heard about the tsunami of mental health challenges we can expect to see post-COVID in the coming year. Because only time will tell what the true effects of coronavirus will be, this prediction, of course, is based on previous similar experiences in the past. There has never been anything in living memory quite like this, has there?
1: Not at all. And, And it's a very good point you're making because it's not over. So a lot of the... Other studies are based on disasters or epidemics that ended and they were they followed up. This one, we're in the middle of it. And you could argue that we have no idea what works when we're still going through it. I mean, even this morning, all the news about, you know, locking people up again or lockdowns in Spain and, and elsewhere, that are happening i mean so we don't know we're still living with a huge uncertainty and and that's being protracted over time and will continue to be so so there will be a, a a great deal of need you know there's no doubt the tsunami of need will come because you've got all the major precipitators of of mental Vulnerability. What I had said in the article was: there's a tsunami of need, and the need is coming from people who we know are disadvantaged already. And on top of that, they have um, isolation, they have loneliness, they have financial troubles, they have probably inability to access supports that they normally rely on. You know, the 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 the, the, the parents or the the family friend or the you know who comes around for tea or they go out for a pint. Um, or even the services because the services are located in hospitals which in the mind of a lot of vulnerable people are centers for the pandemic COVID-19 um, so they don't want to go there uh, so you know their 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 stress levels are up and their support system is down and that combination can throw any of us um off I would say we're all pretty vulnerable, it, but I was writing particularly about those that we know will be hardest hit,
0: you know. Uh, for the purposes of looking at this in a little bit more depth, you have divided the population into three groups of similar size who will experience the effects of uh, COVID-19 differently. The first of these is is that group least affected by the crisis, those who find their inner resilience and and Bounce back. Tell us about those.
1: Well, I think they're the people who are, you know, at home with the kids, and they kind of enjoy it. Uh, they're not commuting to work. Um, they're, um, you know, love working from home. They're lucky enough to have a garden or park or the sea nearby, and and it's been a very kind of restful, creative time for them. Um, uh, and you know, my own son's is, is a secondary school teacher, and I think he would be an example of that. He did his class, he worked very hard, but he did his classes very successfully, including leaving start class. And he, um, he looked after the kids and they, you know, they didn't have to be brought to school in the morning and, you know, they didn't, they didn't, one of them doesn't even like school that much. So, you know, it, 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 it really suited, and his wife's a teacher, so the, the homeschooling model worked very well for them. So, you know, it, it, for some people, it is great. And it has been. And I, I think we don't talk about that because we're focused more on the the more tragic elements of this uh, experience. But, um, and then there are, you know, resilience is not something that I have and you don't have. Resilience is my relationship with you. It's what, it's, it's our connection. And if you have good connections, you know, you can survive most things and even the worst of traumas. If there's someone Close that you can access, and you feel safe with, and comfortable with, then, then you have a connection, and that is the strongest uh, element in our in our resilience, if you like. Um, the ability. Well, first of all, I need to know and recognize in myself that I need help. You know, I need to not be so disconnected or dissociated from my own experience that um, I don't even notice that I'm hyper. You know or I'm, I'm, I'm not getting out of bed, or I'm just disengaging from everything. Um, but if I can notice what's happening and reach out, and there you have the elements, key elements of resilience. And then on top of that, you, you know, I can maybe have other resources, books, and I can understand what's happening, or I can begin to problem solve with my spouse or my friends. Um, and these are the things that help people. You know, life is hard, but we're built for processing it and dealing with it. With the right, when the conditions are right, you know we can get through most things, and the most awful things people have been through. Uh, so this is just another thing. Some level,
0: of course, uh, that brings us to to another group of these people, those who are are not able to make those those connections um, through circumstances, and and they're already familiar to us, um, who you know because uh, they are already seen as people who are. Maybe vulnerable. They're they're under financial pressure. They're in difficult family situations. Maybe they already experience uh, mental ill health. Uh, how can the the existing services uh, who deal with with uh, those people uh, gear up to address the the the, the new raft of, of problems that they will be having now?
1: Yeah, I mean that that's a big question, and and there's no one answer to it because. Each service has to know that their group, so Bernardo's are writing to people talking about children and families that are, are feeling acutely in need and, and maybe isolated and looking for funding and, and they have their workers and they have a plan. And what we can do to help those is to support the work they're doing and, and maybe donate to what they're doing. And there's lots of charities like that. And, and charities are very important because they're, more likely to be based in the community and to have easier access to people. In some cases, we're going to have to be the ones reaching out to people because they won't easily turn to, or they won't know where to turn for help. Um, And then you have the, the, the hospitals, and I don't know what they're doing because I think they're probably feeling like they're not the most attractive place for anybody to go at the moment. So they probably are, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if they were undersubscribed rather than oversubscribed at the moment, even though the need is there. But I would say very clearly, you know, a lot of people are being admitted now to these uh, mental health and hospital uh, departments. Um, And... I think the, the, the pressure will be on community nurses to um, who do most of the work out in out there in terms of really identifying people who are who are just not managing. Remember, people with diagnosed mental difficulties, uh, you know, they don't um, they don't they don't make a fuss really when they're they, they retreat they withdraw they feel overwhelmed um, and so in some ways they become less demantic. You know, until they need admission, um, and so I think that it's really important that uh, community mental health teams have a an outreach. They they know their population. They know who's likely to be finding things hard. Um, so yeah, I think that that you know there are so and there are people who need help with with financial advice. Um, people need help to sort of try and cope with loss of employment and things like that. But some of these will be known, and I, I'm talking in this group about the people we know, you know, um, homeless people, you know. But I think it's incumbent on us to, to reach out to them. It's, it's not likely that they will come marching in, saying I'm feeling excessively stressed and need help. You know, that's not gonna happen. And, and these will materialize over the next 12 to 18 months. It's, this will be, this won't all happen quickly. It will happen slowly but surely over time
0: you know maybe even after this this pandemic is over you know another group of people are are those who we describe as the the new at risk and and these are people who we wouldn't in the past have considered vulnerable um so for that reason it's completely new territory for them isn't it yes
1: and and i i like the way you say another group because for purposes of of you know I suppose, simplicity. I took a certain license with the, the percentages. So in reality, the first group is anywhere between 20 and 40% of the population. Group is probably 30% or 20 to 30%. And then the, uh, well, then this, that's this group, the middle group. And then the, the very poor group can be up to 40%. So I took a third, a third, a third, but it's just to say that. But that's kind of based on modeling from a whole lot of studies. It's not just one. And I think it's... It, it, Kind of makes sense to me. The, this group is probably the most interesting in a way because this, we call them, it's about a third, and we don't know, we don't know how many people, particularly in this um, situation with COVID-19, we have no idea because the, the impact socially and economically and career-wise on people is, is just, we're still trying to get our heads around it. It's not, it's not obvious at all. Um, and it could be worse than we even think, or it could be slightly better. We don't know. So, but but here's what we do know: we know that people who are find themselves in this new territory where they're emotionally highly stressed, you know, and where they're also dealing with loss—loss maybe of people in their lives, but loss of livelihoods, loss of self-esteem, and loss of self-confidence—and they're facing back into a a job market where there is an excess of people applying for any jobs uh, where there are far more people unemployed than previously and so they're competing and they're having to deal with the pressure that that brings even before they apply for a position or go looking. Um, so you've all that going on and these are people who previously may have been quite competent, and um, who functioned reasonably well and uh, haven't experienced massive anxiety or depression or post-trauma or, or, or complicated grief and suddenly they're having pieces of all of these things in their lives. Um, and I think the first thing is that, you know, is, is this, it's a kind of a loss of identity right? because I've always managed my life and now somehow I'm not. So that's the first thing. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a huge um, wallop to somebody's self image. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, um how do I respond to this situation? How do I process this? How do I find my inner strength to to, to, to face into a, a changed situation where I have real problems in living and i don 't have mental illness I, I have real problems in living. They can cause me to have massive mental health or emotional um, upset and distress but they are real problems. So how do I do that? you know and I think that this group what we know about them is that and um, the research of uh, Banano and people like that would say this group, about half of them present fine. You know, so coming out of lockdown now, there are people you know and I know who are saying, I'm fine. This is great. It didn't, you know, maybe they have held on to their job, but they're not fine. You know, and I had somebody last week who, whose sister wasn't fine you know, who said, you know, I know she's not herself. She's all blah, 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 happy, happy, you know, but she's not. And she's been staying in and not doing much. And I know she's kind of down, but she's not somebody who's ever been down like this before. So there are, I think, people who find it very hard to accept that this is what's happening. Um, and, and the experience there is that they, they they go downhill. In fact, they decline and they go into the same state of mind as the people who have these sort of massive chronic stresses and difficulties. Okay. So they go right into that, that group of, you know, um, or wherever you put them on a graphic. Um, and then there are people who, who start, who are very upset, you know, um, and I, I'm not very upset, but I think I would be uh, class myself as somebody who's been quite affected by the, you know, four months of solitude and, um, being faced with myself all the time, uh, and some things I did very well, and I'm very proud of, and I got got done, and other things I didn't get nearly as much done. The more creative things, I think, um, I found harder to do. Um, doing the garden and building raised vegetable, I did great. <laughs> the garden looks great, <laughs> um, but you know. So I'm I'm. So so when somebody asks me how it's been, I say, well, I've had good days and bad days, and you know, it's it's been. Or you, you listen to Michael Harding and he, he'll talk very honestly about how difficult things are. Those, I think that's actually a very healthy place to be. And I think the research would back that up, that people like me, because I can kind of sense it and be honest about it, I have a chance to process it, to chew it over, to, 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 to you know metabolize it, to digest it and to go beyond it, to learn even from it. And that's what the research says, that people over 12, 18 months, it's quite a long time period, that people can actually do better and better and better and feel they've really benefited, that this disaster, whatever it is, was a kind of a gift in their life, You know, that they learned something really important and they or maybe changed their life as a result. And, and of course you hear this all the time on the radio, people have been through horrific experiences of cancer and so on and they 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 sound like people who are woke you know <laughs> they've they've just woken up and they are living their lives with a lot more authority and commitment and self agency um and i think that's that's where we all want to get to i mean you know i'm hoping that that's my trajectory <laughs> um but i think it, it 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 helps that i'm in touch with what has been what has made me quite vulnerable at this time and i think i would say to people be honest with yourself and it's okay this is a very difficult and strange time even if you're living in a castle with a you know your own seafront you know this is still a hard time
0: we have discovered tony during this time how important full-time schooling is for children's development and health and there's speculation at the moment, uh, of course, that, that schools may not come back in the old format in, in September. And the upshot of that may be that children miss out on the soft aspects of uh, schools impact on development, isn't it? Oh,
1: hugely. I mean, schools occupy a different place in 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 all our lives, in most children's lives. I worked a lot in schools in latter years. And and what I discovered over and over again was that, whereas in my day school was a place I kind of generally hated, you know, um, home was the safe place. In school I just, I was in the Christian Brothers and they they beat everything into me. Um, But, you know, now it's often the opposite and for many, many children. School is a safe place. It's where they they can, you know, be themselves, and it's where they can be, experience a different identity to home. At home, it may be they're, you know, criticised a lot or worse. And that, not, by the way, is is a that's one of the unanticipated byproducts of of, of this pandemic. And people have written about this in the Lancet and the BMJ. Is is domestic violence, uh, you know, cruel treatment to children, um, cyberbullying, things like that. That, that, that there's. We've never quite come across this level before, or maybe it's never been investigated. But you know, for some children, it has been really painful to be at home, particularly with the adolescents. Their parents may not even like them, you know. But they're there; they're all together, um, and they're made feel that I'm sure. Um, so, so school is a safe place. So, all that soft learning is is actually um, it's very critical social relationship support that they're getting. And even the teacher looking at them with a certain look of respect and just saying, you know, I know you can do this. You know, that gives kids an extraordinary uh, level of confidence and and resilience and determination to keep going. Um, I don't think we we can begin to estimate that. The loss of that, you know, as I say, there are some kids at home and they're doing better than ever because they've loved being around. And they're at an age when it's... You know, my grandchildren are like four and seven, and, and that's a beautiful age to be at home, you know, learning. But if you're 14 and 17, it's it's horrendous. I mean, you, you have that Anne Frank syndrome, you know, no matter how much you love your family, you get very tired of them because you don't have your own space. Um, and that's that's, um, that's got to be tough, you know. Um and, and and also I think for young people managing their online lives, it, you know, it's 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 a hard thing to manage this new system of um being in touch and learning. Uh and not all of them do, you know, it's it's I I, I don't know about you, but I find, you know, two hours on Zoom is, is, is the most I can do and it's I often need a nap, you know. <laughs> afterwards yeah um, so it's you know if you're doing lots of I mean my son would be will start teaching at 8 o'clock to 1 his classes you know and it's very intensive um, and and also you know where does somebody get to say uh, you know if, I'm T, if you're one of a class of 12 15 on Zoom I I don't really get to say Deirdre how are you doing you know or just to notice that you're you agitated or your your knees are shaken all the time. You know, I, all of that connection is lost, all those nuances.
0: And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have the question of our older people and and the debate that there has been around visiting people in, in nursing homes. And and that's been seen as very much a, a balancing risk issue. And people are now starting to visit their loved ones as the as the virus wanes here. But is it possible to overstate the, the negative impact of that isolation and, and loneliness on the mental health of our older people?
1: Well, I, I think, you, you know, again, I don't think we know. I think the, the other here's something that's really important to say. We really need to think about the word subjectivity, OK, which is to say that people have their own particular reactions to this experience. And it, it's very subjective. And I think we need to be careful about, you know, making broad sweeping statements like I'm making you know, um, uh, about young people or older, anybody, you know, because it, the most important thing is that we, we help people to connect with their own subjective experience of this, of this time and, and that we, we listen to what it is they need. In general, I think it must be awful hard for older people who, who really relied on that visit once or twice a week from a daughter, a son, or if they're a grandchild, uh, that lifted their world. Um, that has to be very difficult. Um, the loss of people when you can't be present at the funeral. I've been at a number of um, COVID funerals, you know, online. We had a family member die. And it was, uh, it was dignified, uh, but very strange. Yeah. And, and nothing like what we all needed, which was that camaraderie and laughing and talking and remembering the person in, in, in a fond way, you know, which is the work of mourning and grief. So a lot of grief gets stuck, it's, 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 it gets locked, lodged in, it doesn't get expressed and worked through. So I imagine there'll, there'll be delayed grief reactions across the country in a lot of
0: cases. One unexpected upside of the crisis has maybe been a new appreciation of the role of people's environment and their community in good mental health, in positive mental health. Isn't that the case?
1: Oh, absolutely. No, no, I think... Um, well, what, uh, psychology is very little to say, okay? I mean, it, it has, you know, a century of research, uh, but really what it comes back to over and over again is that social connection is fundamental to our development, our achieving a sense of identity, and our processing of trauma and stress and loss, okay? So, so you know, you put people properly in touch and and their resilience jumps it leaps up okay now that's um, over general i know but um, there are cases where people are they're 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 carrying such trauma from maybe very early in their life that that they need something more okay to unlock the trauma in their bodies but yeah i i think we you know we need each other and 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 it has been beautiful to watch some of the videos and the, the, the creative things people have done, putting the movie on the side of the house in Cork, all these kind of small, but really creative things that have brought people together. And, and I find it here, even in a socially distant way, on the edge of a cliff in the Northwest, you know, meeting neighbours and, you know, we all stand, we just meet them and I'm walking on the headland, you know, and I'm lucky enough to have that. And, and, but, you know, those moments of connection and how you're doing and it's wonderful. You know, it it's, it, so yes, we appreciate, I hope, each other a lot more. And we appreciate the people who serve us, you know, and who, who are my postman and my shelf stacker in super value and my, you know, and, and all the frontline people, many of whom have yet to maybe uh, be count the cost of what it has done to them, being, in, being on the frontline and witnessing, you know, very painful, death so you know yes i think we're hopefully a little bit more aware of um of what's there and and, and maybe more aware of ourselves because i do think as we lost connection with other people we had a chance whether we wanted it or not to make a deeper connection with ourselves and to be honest with with maybe our limits and maybe we couldn't we discovered we can't do everything we thought we could do you know, i certainly discovered i couldn't be Quite as prolific as I as I imagined I'd be. You know the way you always say if I wasn't so busy. I would get that done, you know. Well, I haven't been so busy, and I haven't got it done. So I've got other things done, and I've learned what I can manage in a day, and what's a good day, and you know. And I've been I've learned to be more responsible. I'm the one running my life. No one is going to come and save me. And that's I'll have all the support. Of course, I need that, but. Yeah, it's been a, a growing experience for me and I hope for
0: many other people. Tony, thanks very much. My thanks to Declan Conan and Suzanne Brennan who produced today's podcast and thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back later in the week.